Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, my, uh, <laughs> again, it's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Adidiong E. Chris Obo, and she does a lot of things. She's a background in chemistry, but she didn't stop there. She's a podcaster, a host, a, a producer, a speaker, a community advocate, She's a, a woman of many talents. Uh, I'm really interested to learn more about her varied interests and how public speaking has benefited her endeavors. Welcome to Teach the Geek in- Interviews, Edidion. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm honored to be on uh, the podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. So my first question, from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got a degree in chemistry. What was the motivation to get that degree? Yeah. Um, so basically in high school, Uh, I was in a lot of the advanced placement courses. And so uh, chemistry just kind of came natural to me. I kind of understood what it was in terms of like numbers and just kind of like systems and just kind of understanding like how things are processed, you know, uh, going from one thing to another, all those different things. So naturally I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just pursue chemistry in college, but I actually wanted to do pharmacy. So um, as many of y'all may know, pharmacy isn't actually a major. Um, You have to do your pre-pharmacy classes and then you get uh, applied to the pharmacy school, which is a professional school. So um, I didn't have to declare a major. So I said, okay, let me go ahead and declare something that I know I can do, which was chemistry. Um, Little did I know, it wasn't just like your basic uh, (laughs) advanced placement chemistry in college. It was a little bit more advanced. Um, but I appreciate the experience. And so um, I ended up getting my degree um, from Texas Southern University. Um, I actually did not do pharmacy. Uh, after I did some of the elective classes, I realized that um, pharmacy was not the route for me, not because I didn't like pharmacy, but just because I didn't, I wanted to pursue something else that would allow me the free reins to move the way I wanted to move in that industry. And I felt like with pharmacy, I would feel constricted. So I, I stayed with the chemistry aspect and I kind of moved into the environmental space. Um, and so that's kind of like how I ended up pursuing my degree in, in chemistry. And I did it in like three years. <laughs> oh, wow. That's impressive. I mean, three years for, for, for one degree. I mean, you got some people on the 10 year plan. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with the 10-year plan. They figure out what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think you, there might be something to be said about getting a, a pharmacy degree. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know too much about it, but when I think of pharmacists, pharmacists, I just think of the people that work at, you know, a CVS or a Walgreens, you know, who works at pharmacy. I understand that there are other things that you can do, but I also saw that, well, instead of doing the, the uh, you know, getting a pharmacy degree, you got a master's in environmental toxicology. When you get something like like that, what what are your I guess your career prospects after getting such a degree? So I, I feel like my journey was a little different than everybody else's. There, it wasn't this like, uh, oh, I'm I'm graduating out of chemistry. I've done a lot of environmental research. I'm going to go straight into environmental toxicology. Not my route. 
actually, I, I decided I wanted to medicine, right? And so I was a pre-med major. And in that pre-med major, um, doing chemistry, I, the, the school that I attended, Texas Southern University, um, was really, is really big on environmental research. Um, so they have funding, they have grants, they have different kind of programs and they're recognized for their environmental research. And so at that time I was working on nanomaterials, nanoparticles, still very new at the time. There wasn't really a whole bunch of research out there. Um, and so we were kind of like on that cutting edge. We had worked with nanomaterials with NASA. We've worked with nanomaterials with UNCF. And I was actually put on a project to work with you, um, nanomaterials with um, the Air Force Research Lab. And so um, just kind of doing a lot of the environmental work, it it seemed like it would be the, the natural progression, but I really wasn't sure. So when I ended up doing my, um, uh, I ended up getting a job with the CDC and um, doing some environmental research there, uh, kind of brightened my eyes and, and my scope. And I said, okay, well, maybe, you know, doing environmental toxicology is a good route to, to enter into because I have a strong um, science background and then I can, I've been doing environmental research. And so toxicology is just really in, interesting to me. So I ended up um, pursuing my degree in uh, environmental toxicology. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I entered into it. <laughs> gotcha. When you entered into the workforce, what is something that you found surprising about working at these at a company that you didn't anticipate? Surprisingly enough, I think because at my school there were a lot of women in STEM, um, just because they made sure that they promoted women of color, especially since it's an HBCU, a historically black college or university, um, they really pushed on making sure that uh, women. Uh, were represented in STEM. So when I, that was kind of like my natural um, feel for it, even though I kind of knew in the back of my mind that uh, women of color are not like that big in STEM. But when you go to these different conferences, you see women of color, um, you see different students who are presenting their research and you're like, okay, cool. But when you get into the workforce, it looks totally different. <laughs> and so I ended up being like the only not only the only black woman, but the only woman <laughs> in some of these spaces that had a degree, that had the experience, whereas you had, um, you know, maybe it was Caucasian men who were kind of like leading at the top, or even if they were like kind of like the ones that were doing some of the heavy lifting, um, you would see them where they didn't really have an education or they were black or Hispanic males. So it was just really, it's a really male dominated um, industry, when it comes to STEM, when it comes to science, especially. Um, and when you start talking about toxicology and environmental work at that time, there wasn't really a lot of women there. So for me, I went from a, an incubator that promoted women of color to reality where I'm the only one. And so I just kind of had to bank on, you know, the information that I know, the experience I gained and everything that um, people poured into me to, you know, show me that, hey, you're a confident black woman in STEM and you can do this. And so I brought that to work every day in these different industries. Wow. You know, I, I didn't go to a, an HBCU. So I, I suppose that my my experience in school very much mirrored what I eventually <laughs> eventually came across when I came into, into the workforce. There was very few black people in the program that, were, that I was in. 
And then when I started working, there was very few black people there too. So I, there certainly was no shock for me. I, I'm really sorry that you had to, to go through that, but I guess, you know, you have to experience what, what you experienced at some point. You just kind of have to deal with it. Right, right. So now I'm curious about the, the, the career that you've had up until this point. Are you where you thought you would be or where you thought, where you hope to, to be at this point? And if not, what would need to happen for you to be where you want to be? I think that is an awesome question. Um, so I like to leave room, right, for my career to expand to whatever that looks like. I know a lot of people oftentimes kind of know exactly what they're going to do. I'm going to be a medical doctor. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be all these different things. And even at one point, I had that same kind of tone. But as my career has taken its different turns, I realized that I need to allow room, right, and space for me to be able to enter into um, industries or even enter into groups, um, entities where the knowledge that I've acquired can translate um, into these different spaces and not limit me into um, just the environmental sector or just STEM or just whatever the case is. So... Um, as far as how did I see myself in this kind of role? I don't know if I saw myself there. I think I just allowed for, for my career to kind of grow and blossom. And it still is, you know, even with over 10 plus, almost 15 years worth of environmental career experience, I'm more now in a, in a space where I feel is more natural to me, um, so basically, like I said, I've done a lot of research. I've been in the labs. That was kind of my thing. My thing. But um, I knew that I wasn't a person that just wanted to be restricted or confined to the lab. And for those who love the lab, no knock to you all. <laughs> but I know I'm a, I'm a person that likes to talk. I like to socialize. So I love going to the conferences because I got to meet new people and present my work. I didn't really get a chance to do that, you know, just kind of like in the lab, you know, figuring out what I needed to figure out. And so with just my career taking its turn in different spaces, I'm now in a space where I get a chance to also um, break down these complicated um, scientific terms and, and constructs and explain them to our community, right? Who may not have the same kind of education I have or the same kind of knowledge I have, but the impact is directly to those, those people um, in those communities. So I love the fact that I get a chance to bridge science and community advocacy in a way where um, we're making an impact, right? And we're also working on a realistic chain, right, uh, change from the bottom up and top down. You know what? You're absolutely right about a, a career not being linear. I, one of the main reasons I started this channel, in, in this podcast in the first place, was to hear from people like you that, 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 that perhaps they got a degree in something and they start there, but that isn't necessarily all that there is to them. And, and I, I see that in myself too, I mean, just from the background on me, I, I did product development and medical devices for a number of years as an engineer. But it didn't stop there. I had other interests. I, I wrote a children's book. I do consulting. I, I do a bunch of things. It's just, I right. have a bunch of interests. And just because you start one place doesn't mean that's where you have to end up. You, you, you can follow your interests and, and see where they lead you. So I commend you in knowing that you didn't have to stay in one place and that there were other, and you had other interests and you were willing to follow them. 
Yeah, and and one thing I like to tell people is that, listen, like God has given you so many different gifts and talents, right? And you don't necessarily have to stay in one career. You can have multiple careers simultaneously, like you just said. You do consulting, you're an author, you're an engineer. These are all careers that are happening at the same time. And, you know, like that you were able to make room, right? to invite those things into your life. So the same thing with me, um, you know, I still do my environmental consulting, I'm doing community advocacy work, you know, I have my own brand, I have all of these different things, but at the same time, like I'm not, like I said, restricting myself to just kind of like the environmental space. Um, you know, I'm also in cultural space. I'm also in, um, you know, community organizing, project management, all these different spaces that I'm able to, because I've been able to translate my skills into other industries and other areas. So, yeah, kudos to us then. Right? <laughs> We're pretty great. So right. you, you mentioned these other interests, interests. So I, I really like to to talk more about them. I mentioned in the intro that you're you're a host and a producer of shows. What motivated you to to do that? And what are your shows about? Okay, uh, <laughs> so I got an opportunity. I was approached by a. Uh, actually a TV network uh, locally and they pretty much saw the work that I had been doing in the uh, community. So my background, I'm my first first generation born Nigerian American. And so um, I have <coughs> cultural ties specifically to Nigerian. My parents are Nigerian, my family's Nigerian. The majority of my, my family are still in Nigeria. My grandmother's there to this day. Um, speaking of, I need to give her a call. <laughs> um, but yeah, so <clears throat> what really sparked me to start the the TV show um, was just kind of like, we need more people um, who are in the diaspora that are professionals to kind of know each other. So that's kind of like how the first show started, which is called It's Our Time. And it literally is saying like, it's our time to speak up to be recognized and to let people know that, hey, we're here and we're doing amazing things. So that was kind of like it kind of, you know, trying to be like the voice of like, you know, professionals in the diaspora, whether you're young, you're old, in between whatever you are in your career or in your in your business. Um, the second show kind of got birthed out of the first show where I had a friend of mine who I interviewed came on and he was running for an elected uh, position. And so what I mentioned to him was, as much as you have you know, a lot of the African-Americans who are supporting you, you're leaving your African um, brothers and sisters behind from the diaspora who have a vote and you haven't targeted that audience yet. And so when I go to them, I tell them, hey, you know, this young brother, he's, you know, running for this position, you should vote. They're like, oh, okay, what is he about? Can he come to this? But by the time he began to think about those things, it was kind of like the gap was too short of an, a window to speak to those people. So we said, hey, why don't we have a show where we can talk about different perspectives, especially when it comes to our communities and literally trying to bridge that gap between Africans and African-Americans through this show. So the show is called Fresh Perspective. And so you got a chance to get a fresh perspective on culture, on community, on civic engagement, 
you know, all of those different things, you know, seeing where we are similar, but also unique in our various cultures. Um, and so that was kind of like the birth of those two shows. Um, and so from there, I've had the opportunity to kind of move into where I'm doing my own producing. Um, I also have a, uh, I have a, uh, <laughs> a, a potential uh, <laughs> um, producing uh, engagement. And so I can't really talk about it yet until we get everything tied up, but just on my own, I have on my own platform, which everybody can follow me on. Um, I'm, I speak towards um, this, this term I call class A. And class A stands for culture, lifestyle, advocacy, um, spiritual um, strategy and engagement, right? And so it literally encompasses everything that I believe in. And so through that, you'll see me kind of talk about Eat Chris on the Move, where I kind of go into different spaces and communities and kind of talk about their food or talk about whatever community programs they have going on. Um, I have it just with Eat Chris, where you're, you know, you're just kind of talking about different hot topics or things you want to know, um, even motivational things. You know, a lot of times I need that quiet time or that or I'll, I'll scroll through my Instagram or my uh, Facebook post and I'll see like, oh man, that really encouraged me. So I kind of try to put the same thing out there, good energy out there as well. Um, you know, it's so there's just kind of different things, but if you follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, or even on YouTube or LinkedIn, you'll kind of see a little bit of what I'm, what I'm doing um, on that front as well, so. Nice. You also mentioned earlier about your community advocacy work. When it comes to that, what what does that entail, firstly, and then also what do you hope uh, comes of it? So what I like to say is I'm a, a person who likes to connect the dots in the community. So a lot of times we function in a lot of different silos uh, where we're maybe doing kind of like the same kind of work, but then we're not really working together. Um, or um, we may have like the same kind of ideas or concepts, but we don't know where to start or somebody else may be doing something and you have like a different piece where you're like, I need somebody who can do this. So I like to say that I'm a community advocate in the sense like that, where I'm making sure that uh, we're connecting the dots in our communities, but we're also making sure that resources are coming into these communities that we do not know of. So if I'm privy, right, if I'm in a position where I know um, certain things will benefit other communities of color, I make sure that, hey, you know, in our, especially in our African community, let's make sure that we are part of that conversation, that we're at the table, that we're in the room, because other communities of color are also benefiting from this as well. Um, and not just other communities of color, but just communities in general, um, making sure that, you know, the injustices that are happening, how do we go from the protest to policy, right? The action part, what can you do individually um, to do your part? You know, I like to tell people, do what you can at the level that you're at. But if you know that you're at a different level where you have a level of influence, then you ought to be doing more. And those people who you consider a leader, you ought to hold them accountable to that platform. And so that's kind of like my mantra is like, you know, hey, if you're in a form of leadership, whatever that looks like, you have the opportunity to literally be the change you want to see in your own community. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. There's nothing holding you back. There's nothing stopping you. All of the red tape that we have to kind of get past just to kind of, you know, advocate for these communities. If you're in leadership, you can cut that red tape out and just do what you have to do. So that means bringing in masks into uh, neighborhoods who can't afford to, you know, go out and get a mask, you know, for the pandemic, during the pandemic. Um, if that's, you know, hosting a COVID-19 vaccination event or even a testing event, 
do that. If that means, you know, raising money for um, whatever cause that may be that would impact that community, do that. If you're in an organization and you feel like, hey, I feel better when I can organize around programming, right? That will benefit our community and rally the community to be involved and be educated. Do that. Whatever those things are, I invite people to try to do that as well because that's what I do. So I'm not going to uh, preach something I don't practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. And, I, and again, I, I commend you for all, all the work that you're doing and just seeing the gap. I, well, yeah, just seeing the gaps that, that exist in, in the community and trying to plug them, I think is is astounding. So one, a question that I have now, well, I guess we'll switch over to public speaking since that's really what I'm always interested in. The, as I mentioned, the, the motivation for the podcast was hearing from people like you who start someplace and then they end up somewhere completely different, but it's also about the benefits of being able to communicate with others and what that's done for you in your life and your career. So when it comes to public speaking, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? So I don't know if I could say I was, I've been always good at it. I think that as a child, and this is maybe my, my own household, but I kind of feel like a lot of Africans and Nigerians kind of, kind of go through the kids, got to go through this where, um, so, so just kind of like kind of breaking it down. Um, in in our culture, in Nigerian culture, a lot of times um, the, the systems are kind of similar where you have like county government, right? And then you have like your neighborhoods or whatever the case is. So we have something similar, but we have like our, our very local governments and um, what my parents did, a lot of other parents did too, is they try to continue to hold those kind of meetings abroad, right? Even though they're in America, you know, still things are still going on back home. So because their kids were born in America, they made sure that we would stand up in front of everybody, introduce ourselves, your name, um, where you're from, and back home, not here in Houston, because we know you're born here, um, and and then your age. So it kind of started there, where you kind of have to break that shyness of you know who you are, and they made you do it. You know, each time that there was a kind of like a civic meeting, right? Um, they made you do that. So I was doing that. And I think that I got a little bit, built my confidence in doing that, just going to the meetings. And mind you, we're like, maybe like four, five years old. So this is not something like I'm eight, like I'm very young and I'm like, what, I have to do what? <laughs> um, but as I got in older, um, I think that that level of confidence is what pushed me to do like student council and elementary and, you know, do all these their peer, peer mediation and, you know, kind of move into those spaces where I had to speak because I felt like that level of confidence was embedded in me through my family, through my, you know, my culture that I got a chance now when I got to college um, because we were speaking right about our research projects, you had to kind of exude a level of confidence. And one thing my dad would tell me is, listen, don't, don't, you know, don't worry. You know the research that you did. So now you're just telling people what you actually did. Only you are the person that's the expert in this specific research that you did. So that even if you get questions that you don't know the answers to, maybe it's outside of the scope of your research, or maybe it's it's something that you would like to explore, but don't get hung up on you know certain things because you are the one who did this. And so I think just instilling that level of confidence in me um, allowed for me now to kind of have a better 
uh, way to speak to, to the public, you know, um, and getting that level of practice, you know, especially in college and even outside into the industry world, even to now, you know, I have the opportunity to say, okay, public speaking, I'm not afraid of it, even though I still get jitters, <laughs> still shy. Um, I don't like to be in the spotlight, but when I am, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm confident in what I'm talking about. So nice. You know, when you were talking about giving presentations at these conferences, it made me think about when I used to have to do them too. So when I was in school, I, I used to have to, well, I have to, but I went to these conferences and give these kind of presentations. And oftentimes, if you were to get some sort of difficult questions, it tended to be from competing labs. So you might have, you know, one lab doing something and then a lab at a different school doing something very similar. And the one lab may want to kind of try to discredit the other lab because they want the funding from the various agencies. And you know, right. there's only a certain amount of money to go around. So they want to make themselves seem like they're the top, they're the top dog, they're the, they're the, they're the number one expert. So they want to come at you really hard at these conferences. But I think your dad's advice was, was spot on. Just knowing that you're the expert on what you're talking about, that perhaps if you do get a, a difficult question, it's outside the scope of what you were working on and, and it's something to explore. There's nothing wrong with, with saying, you know, that's a great point and that's something to look into in the future. Uh, that was great advice from your, from your dad. So when it comes to the, pro, do, when it comes to public speaking also for your presentations, do you have a process that you follow to put your presentations together? And if so, what is it? So whenever I'm doing any kind of presentation, right? I want to understand who am I speaking to? Who's my audience? Because then it would tell me like how I need to convey the message to them. So for me, I'm the kind of person that, like I said before, I like to take these very complicated um, and complex ideas and break them down into very simple terms because whether you are a, a person who is in academia or who is in industry or just a person that's just kind of like, you know, regular like myself, you know, I may not understand the jargon, but then I need to understand the concept. And so if I can at least speak towards the, the, the big level, the big picture jargon, you know, and, and break that down, then if I get those complicated, more specific, more technical questions, it makes it easy, right? Because I'm, I'm following, I'm bringing everybody along. I'm not just speaking specifically to your STEM folks. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to, you know, whoever is in the building. So I need to make sure that I understand who my audience is. If I'm speaking towards an audience that's more, you know, um, scientific based, then of course, like my conversation or, or my presentation is going to speak towards that. But if it's talking towards the public, I understand that there's different groups in there. And so the public can be STEM folks. It could be, um, you know, CEOs that are different branches. It could be whatever it could be. So my my best thing is like to approach it, start off with the big picture and then break it down like you're teaching. Almost like, I'm because that's kind of like my, my speaking style. It's like a teacher, right? Where I'll break it down in such a way where you'll understand it. And when you leave there, I want you to know that like, you're able to talk to whatever I talked about in a very general sense, and you felt like you learned something and can pass the information along. If it's too much technical stuff, sometimes you lose folks. So I, I'm not saying that I shouldn't be technical, and there's a time and place for that, even within your presentation, um, just because you also want to make sure that your presentation has that credibility that you can speak towards whatever it is that you're speaking towards. Um, but that's kind of like how I prepare. Um, I also try to make sure that um, I'm telling the story, right? Whatever that story from start to finish, 
the middle, the first, the beginning, the middle, and the end, um, so that people get an idea of where we're going, what we're trying to do, and what's the way forward, um, whatever we're talking about. Um, and then I try to make sure I leave there with some kind of call to action, right? You know, do your part. You know, this is how you can get involved. Um, you know, kind of spoke, spark of some kind of, you know, motivation or encouragement for you to do something. Wow. These are all great points, Aditi Young. I, I fully agree with you when it comes to, to knowing your audience. And it's funny, funny, when when I started Teach the Geek, the, there, was a, there were a number of motivations for it, but the main one was I had, I was an engineer, as I mentioned earlier, and I had to give these presentations in front of management, many of whom weren't technical. I mean, you had CEO, COO, right. C, right. C, C fill in the blank, and all these people with these corner offices. And I had to give these presentations every, on a monthly basis. And those first few those first few presentations were absolutely horrendous. And looking back on them, I I know the reason is because I wasn't putting this technical expertise in such a way that these people could understand. So right. oftentimes, what would happen is I'd get questions afterwards that were questions I thought I had answered during the presentation, but because I didn't put it in such a way that these people could understand, now I'm getting these questions. I'm getting annoyed that I have to answer these questions. They're probably getting annoyed that they had to sit through a presentation where they, where they didn't, that they didn't understand. Right, right. <laughs> so we're just wasting each other's time. <laughs> I, I knew that it was something okay. I certainly had to get better at over time. And, and I did. I, I, I didn't want to look like a fool every time I had to give these presentations. You know, like the one, okay, you know, Yeah, like I said, it's important to know your audience, know who you're talking to. Like For me, one thing that I'm also working on is called Educate Your Vote. And so um, what I realized is that a lot of people, they can go and vote, but they don't understand the process or they don't understand what the vote actually means. Um, and so that's where I begin. Like I said, I need to know my audience. And my audience is anybody who's a voter who is just either your first time voter or you've been voting or whatever the case is, right? Speaking to that audience, breaking that information down and bringing in people that I may not know all the information but I can bring in different aspects and be able to, like I said, connect those dots in the community so people can understand like your vote or whatever it is. Maybe it's your presentation that's in engineering or maybe it's on music or maybe it's a pitch, whatever it may be, so yeah. Absolutely. You'd mentioned earlier that you get nervous before giving presentations. How do you deal with your nerves? Yeah, I, I'm the kind of person that I have to, I prepare by talking it through of what I may say or like where I would want to go with my presentation. So even though like, and sometimes you have an opportunity to create like a PowerPoint, right? And the PowerPoint is really like a guide. It's not necessarily like your full presentation, right? Because you have to talk towards the PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, other points, you don't have a PowerPoint like today. <laughs> and so it's like, how do you prepare? Well, you know, you do your research first. And then secondly, you look and say, okay, what is it that I want to convey in this speaking engagement? Is it about my life? It's about my business? Am I promoting something? Is it a pitch? Is it a jingle? Is it a concept? Is it an idea? You're telling somebody this so that they can buy into your story, your vision, whatever the case is. So I, I talk myself through and say, okay, what is it that I want people to get out of this? Okay, how do I rearrange that or structure that in a way where they will understand it and get you know what I'm talking about? And then two, just kind of relax, you know. Um, I've taken the opportunity while I've been doing a lot of these speaking engagements, especially when I started with my shows, was just to have a conversation. Um, treat them as conversations that you would have with somebody that you know or you don't know that you're trying to explain. But it, I'm, I'm a more conversationalist when it comes to speaking engagements compared to like a, 
you know, very professional. I have this, I have my clicker, I have all those things, but my, my natural suit is just to have a conversation and let it be organic. And through that, I'm able to still be able to pinpoint the things I wanted to convey in the interview or in the speaking engagement or in public speaking. So. Gotcha. Last question. You know, I, I introduced you as a Diddy Young E. Chris Oboe. What is the significance of E. Chris? So <laughs> E is the first initial to my name, Eddie Young. Mm-hmm. And Chris is my middle name. Um, and so I just kind of put E. Chris together. So Chris is actually, so in our culture, um, the children typically take on the first name of your father as your middle name. And that's a way of kind of tracing back history. It's also a way to divvy up whatever, um, you know, land or properties or whatever the case is when your father passes on, they know whose child that is. And especially since my name is a popular name in our culture and it's unisex, um, you try to make sure that you identify whose child that is because I can, there's, there are several Eddie Deongs in my family with the first and last name the same. Um, and so Chris is my father's um, first name, which is more Catholic. And at that time, um, a lot of them had to pick a new name <laughs> uh, based on the missionaries that came. So you'll see a lot of uh, the females that have like a very masculine uh, middle name. It's not your typical, you know, female name. It's kind of like a Chris or a Chrysanthus or a Savannah or Augustine or Innocent. It's, you know, very masculine name, but that's the reason why uh, we take it on. And sometimes the the wives traditionally would take on the, the man's first and last name as the middle and the surname. So that's kind of like how the E. Chris came behind. Um, so, yeah. Got it. All right. I, w- I was curious about that. So thank you for clearing that up. This has been really interesting talking to you, Aditi Young. How can people get in touch with you? Yes. So you can connect with me on Instagram at E underscore C-H-R-Y-S, as you can see in the logo. Um, also, I'm on Facebook. Um, we can search my name, Aditi Young, E. Chris Oboat. Um, same thing on LinkedIn. And I'm also on uh, Twitter, E underscore Chris as well as on YouTube. So you can go to my YouTube channel, e.chrys, and you'll see some of the things that I'm working on there. And then last but not least, if you want to work with me, my email is info at (laughs) echris.com. Excellent. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for STEM professionals. The first offering is Teach the Geek to Speak. It's a public speaking course. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Adidion. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. On all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.